Welcome to Visit the Zoo with your host, author Frederick Fishman. And hello and welcome to Visit the Zoo, the Visit the Zoo podcast. And my name is Frederick Fishman, and I am an author and also an audiobook narrator, producer, director, and DVD narrator, producer, director. All of that for my 12 book, 120 animal Visit the Zoo series, uh, which is out in an ebook. Uh, ebooks as well as print books, audiobooks, and also I just started a line of video DVDs. And in this episode of Visit the Zoo, which is episode 005, this is going to be extra special. There's some great stories I've got coming up for you, and I really want to tell you about it and get into it. But first, uh, I want to recommend that if you want to learn more about the Visit the Zoo book series or the DVD or audiobooks, you can go to my website, which is at zooanimals.info. That's zooanimals.info. And let's say we get started, okay? And the first thing that we usually do here every single week is get into the news of zoos and animals around the world. This first news story is a real beaut. It, it really is. You, you'll love this one. It's from a dispatch from the New Indian Express from a city called Misuru, which is in the very southern tip of India, and it's inland from both coasts off the Indian Ocean. It's surrounded by three national parks, which will help give some context when I get into the story. It's about, uh, I looked at a map, and about 20 or 25 miles from each of these national parks. Let me just read the first paragraph. This is really unbelievable. A leopard strayed into Mirsuru Zoo from the Chamundi Hills on Thursday morning, triggering panic among 100 visitors present there. However, the zoo staff managed to move the visitors out within 30 minutes, after which the rescue operation began at 9 a.m. Zookeeper Raj, I'm going to butcher this one, Raja Heshkar spotted the leopard, which was sitting on a 35 to 40 foot tree near the enclosure of the lion-tailed macaques. The macaques are monkeys. They're about 18 inches tall and they have broad faces with a big manes on them. They look like miniature little lions. Monkeys and lion-tailed macaques were screaming and looking toward the tree on which the leopard was sitting. I noticed their unusual behavior and later saw the leopard, said Raja Hishkar. With the efforts of about 30 zookeepers and veterinary doctors, the leopard was tranquilized and trapped. After two and a half hour rescue operation, visitors were allowed to enter the zoo. The leopard may have entered from the rear area of the zoo. An incidence of leopards straying into urban areas are rising due to the increase in population of stray dogs and monkeys, which are fed by the tourists in and around the Chumandi Hills. Over the last four decades, this is the third time that a leopard has entered the zoo. Following the incident, the footfall in the zoo saw a decline of 20% on Thursday. Well, no kidding. On normal weekdays, 5,000 to 7,000 people visit the zoo. I think that would be one day that you would not want to visit the zoo. 
for sure. Okay, now this next story comes from a uh, website called worldofanimals.org, and it was written by Erin Connolly Kane, a contributing writer. And she says uh, at the very start, it's not a Sharknado, but it just might be a Sharkano. Scientists recently found a sleeper shark living in an area that he wasn't supposed to be in, a volcano. This is a, a volcano under the sea, of course. The Kavachi is a very active underwater volcano in the Solomon Islands near Papua New Guinea in the Pacific. When scientists set down a camera-laden robot to examine the volcano, they discovered far more than they expected. Brennan Phillips, a University of Rhode Island PhD student, was on his scientific expedition and described the scientists' reactions when they found multiple species of animals living in the volcano such as Pacific sleeper shark, hammerhead sharks, silky sharks. This discovery opened up a whole new world of questions that Phillips and his team hope to answer at some point. These large animals are living in what you have to assume is a much hotter and much more acidic water, and they're just hanging out. It makes us question what type of extreme environments these animals are adapted to. What sort of changes have they undergone? Are there only certain animals that can withstand it? Those questions will take more time to answer. So, you've got sharks living above a volcano that's spewing out hot and acidic gases mixing with the ocean, heated to God knows what temperatures, and they seem to be coexisting in that heat. And it makes you wonder if there are if there are other planets with volcanoes, undersea volcanoes, what animals may be living near the mouth of those exploding, roaring beasts as well. Now, I will tell you one more story as an anecdote to this. This is many years ago. My wife and I were on a, a trip to Hawaii. We were in a, a Zodiac boat with several other people, and we were going to be doing some snorkeling. And there, there was a pilot of the boat, of course, a science expert and a, an equipment assistant. We just got in the water, and it was calm and clear, just off the shore of Lahaina. We got in the water, and we swam out about 25 feet. And my head was underwater at the time, and I didn't hear the, the opening frantic screams of the uh, crew to get all of us back on board the boat. And I was, when I, my head was underwater, I looked down, and I saw beneath me a floor of hammerhead sharks in the hundreds and it looks like they were they were not feeding they were going someplace with a purpose because they kept on following each other and swishing through the water but i mean there were hundreds of them and so i grabbed my my wife's hand swam we raced back to the boat and the only thing i can say is i want to thank jack farb sports camp for teaching me how to swim when i was 10 years old Well, that'll wake you up for sure. <laughs> well, we have a um, another great segment coming up that I that from some of the feedback I'm beginning that people love. And these are the animal sounds, and I'm going to play three animal sounds, and I want you to try and guess what these animals are. And we're going to let that kind of sink in a little bit, and then we'll get back to the answers. Okay, here is the first animal sound. So let me play it again. One more time. Okay, here's the second animal sound. And one more time again, because two was short. 
And finally, here is the third animal sound. Now, some of you probably know immediately what that is. Especially, I'll give you a little clue, if you had one of these as a pet when you were younger. Let me play it one more time. Stick around, and I'll give you the answer to what those animals were. Now I'm going to get to the next part of our of our presentation here, where we talk about animals in more detail. I'm going to play another chapter from the audiobook version of Visit the Zoo, the 120 animals that I cover. And this is an animal called Thompson's gazelle. This is very informative as to why this animal is called Thompson's gazelle. So let's play it and get the answer. Let's look at one more nearby menu item for lions. Thompson's gazelle. You're probably asking yourself right now, well, who is Thompson? Why was this animal named after him? Okay, here's the answer. Joseph Thompson was a Scottish explorer who lived from 1858 to 1895. He was instrumental in the early European exploration of Africa. He was able to make friends or at least not anger the indigenous tribes and liked to make a soft footprint wherever he explored. In other words, he did not want to anger the native peoples or trash the land in the wake of his exploration. This gazelle is named after him. There, now we know who Thompson is. Thompson's gazelle is also a favorite food of lions and cheetah, wild African dogs, and hyenas. They are 20 to 28 inches tall and weigh a maximum of 55 pounds for females and 66 pounds for males. They have distinctive horns. They live on the African savanna, mostly in the Serengeti region of Kenya. They like to follow the zebra and wildebeest herds because those large animals trample the tall grasses, making it easier for the Thompson's gazelle to graze. They are also fast runners, sometimes running up to 60 miles per hour. That's almost as fast as a car rolling down the highway. And they too like to leap or bound. That's called stotting or pronking. They think it startles the predators, but I think the predators think, you're not fooling me, buddy. All right, that's a little bit about the Thompson's gazelle. And it is a favorite food of the predators on the Serengeti Plain and many other places in Africa. Let's get the answers now to those animal sounds. Let me replay again that first animal sound for you. One more time. Well, that sound obviously sounds like a cat, and it is one of the big, five big cats in the world, and that's the leopard. The leopard lives in sub-Saharan Africa and in parts of Asia as well. It has short, stubby legs and a long body and a big skull, but it is big and is muscular and it is robust. It stands about 24 to 28 inches at the shoulder. And if that's, those are the males. And the females are a bit shorter at 20 to 25 inches. 
Their bodies are anywhere from 35 to 75 inches long, and they, the males weigh anywhere from 82 to 198, and the females weigh anywhere from 62 to 132 pounds. The largest ever recorded weighed 213 pounds. They come in a various colors, black of course, but also yellow and a yellow-green color. They have large distribution habitats, and they they try to go to semi-arid deserts, and they prefer forests as well. They're powerful swimmers. They can run 36 miles per hour, and they can leap forward 20 feet, and they can jump 10 feet high, almost straight up. They eat deer, rodents, antelope, and they will kill humans. In India, there seems to be extreme cases of that. There was one leopard called the leopard of, here we go again with another hard to pronounce name, Rudra Payong, which killed 125 people. And a Panar leopard, which hung out near some villages probably, killed as many as 400 people. All those are, are anecdotal and, and hard to, to verify, but you get the idea about this animal. Uh, the leopard uh, can be quite deadly. All right, let's go to the next sound, and let's see if you can figure out what this is. All right, one more time. Okay, you probably know that that's an owl. The owl's uh, females are larger than the males, and there are 200 separate species of owls. They have large, broad heads, binocular vision, sharp binaural hearing, and they have very sharp talons and their wings are built for silent flight. They hunt small rats, mice, mammals, insects, birds, and they're in all regions of the earth except for Antarctica. The smallest owl is called the elf owl. It weighs one ounce. It's about five inches tall. The largest is the great gray owl, which is 28 inches tall. They struggle to keep warm because their feathers are built for silent flight and are not waterproof. Their heads can swivel almost 270 degrees, and I'm sure you've seen a video of them swiveling their heads almost all the way around. They are excellent night hunters. And like I said, their hearing is sharp, and their talons are sharp as well. They're beautiful birds. Some people think they're brilliant. They're not. They're smart, but they're not brilliant. Here is the third sound for today. This sounds cute, and they are cute, but let me play it one more time. That's the guinea pig. Favorite pet of a lot of a lot of us out there. I don't I didn't have one. I had a parakeet, but I didn't have a guinea pig. Now these fur balls are rodents. They're not pigs, and they don't come from the country Guinea. How they got their name, guinea pigs, might have something to do with the way they look. They look like really small miniature pigs, the way they're built so round and fat and they have that flattened face. They're from the Andes Mountains. They are hybrids from domesticated stock, not found in the natural world. I mean, simply put, they are pets and that's it. They were introduced in the 16th century in Western societies by European traders. They come in various colors and coats and have been used in the past for medical research. Not so much now, but they still are used for some research in some narrow areas. They were first domesticated in 5000 BC as a food source, but eventually that evolved to where they're just cute little pets.
we're coming here towards the end and to the section where I usually read a poem, but I really was fond of a couple of episodes ago, I read some Mark Twain and I thought, uh, you know, Mark Twain's quotes, he was he was a powerful humorist and, and probably America's best and original master novelist. I have some other quotes for some other people and I got most of them as to who they are and I'll try and give you an idea, but instead of reading poetry today, I'll read you some more quotes. All right, here's one from the French poet and journalist who lived from 1844 to 1964, Anatoly France. Until one has loved an animal, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. Here's another quote from John Grogan, who is a journalist and a writer, current popular writer. He wrote the book Marley and Me in 2008. Such short little lives our pets have to spend with us, and they spend most of it waiting for us to come home each day. This next one is from Dean Koontz, the famous mystery writer. Petting, scratching, and cuddling a dog could be as soothing to the mind and heart as deep meditation and almost as good for the soul as prayer. This next one is from a poet, a French poet, who lived from 1873 to 1954, and she goes by the single name Colette. Our perfect companions never have fewer than four feet. This is from Mahatma Gandhi, who lived from 1869 to 1948, his assassination. He was an attorney and leader of India, an independence movement. The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. This next one is from English author A.A. Milne, who lived from 1882 to 1956. Some people talk to animals. Not many listen, though. That's the problem. This next one is from Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States, 1809 to 1865. I am in favor of animal rights as well as human rights. That is the way of a whole human being. And this is from the Talmud, a Jewish record of rabbinic teaching, written 200 to 500 B.C. Whoever saves a life saves the world entire. This is from German philosopher, 1788-1860, Arthur Schopenhauer. Compassion for animals is intimately associated with goodness of character. It may be confidently asserted that he who is cruel to animals cannot be good to man. This is from Martin Buber, who was a philosopher, Austrian philosopher, from 1878 to 1965. An animal's eyes have the power to speak a great language. From Jeremy Bentham, an English philosopher, 1748-1832. The question is not, can they reason, nor can they talk, but can they suffer? And finally, from the famous English poet George Eliot, who lived from 1819 to 1880. Animals are such agreeable friends. They ask no question, and they pass no criticisms. And that is basically the wrap-up for this week's Visit the Zoo podcast. I want to thank you all very much for joining me, for listening to the animal sounds, and hearing another chapter from my 12-book series, and the news of the day, a couple stories at least about animals. And I want to, again, thank you very much for joining me. I hope that you subscribe, you rate, and you review what you've heard today. 
please join me again next week when we'll talk about all things animals. And I also want to encourage you to please go to my website at zooanimals.info. That's zooanimals.info. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.